to Revelation chapter 1. In your text I have in here Revelation 1, 4 through 19, and as I was trying to break this down into an outline form for my sermon points, I determined there were five points in this text. You have reason to rejoice this morning, for I will only cover one. We will save the others for another day. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before, the th- before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we ask for your guidance and help. We ask for clarity. May it shine through your truth by the Spirit. Help your servant to simplify what is before us that we may see it and that it may quicken our hearts and our souls and our spirits. It may challenge us to be more faithful to you We do love you. And we long to see your power. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I mentioned last week when we began this study that there's a lot of vocabulary words to learn. And we talked last week about eschatology, the study of last things. But if you remember, I mentioned that Revelation is more than just the last things. As Christ is he who was and who is and who is to come, he is eternal. So Revelation does, and we will see that as we get deeper into it, Revelation does look at things in the past and in the present and in the future. It's all there. A lot of people look at Revelation and think, oh, this is all about the last things, things we look forward to, but no It's everything. I can't reveal all of that to you this morning, but we will see it as we get into further study. Last week we talked about what is actually being revealed. God's glory, God's authority, God's power, and God's justice and his judgment. And as we move through Revelation, we will see more and more of that. We talked last week about the first words of the text that talk about things that will soon come to pass. I remember as a child 
One of the things my parents used to say to me very often, and my brothers as well, I had three brothers growing up. There are four boys in our family. Mom, when are we going swimming? Soon. Mom, when will Christmas be here? Soon. Oh, soon never gets here. You might remember as children, it seemed like days went by so slowly. And as we get older, they just fly by. Day before yesterday was Christmas. Day after tomorrow will be Christmas again. It moves that fast. It's kind of like that with our Heavenly Father. We're his children, and we keep wanting to know, Lord, when will you return? And he keeps telling us, soon. And, we seems like, and it seems like it will never be here. These words were written 2,000 years ago. Second Peter 3, do not be overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even the Apostle Paul agrees with this. Do you presume on the riches and the kindnesses and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He is being patient. He tells us 2,000 years ago through John, there are some things that soon will come to pass. And we're going to look at, I'm going to keep harping on soon for a few more weeks. All will be revealed. We need to understand we're his children. Some of his promises we long to see, we want to see them fulfilled, we want to see them occur. The time seems to move slowly by. He is eternal. He is not bound by time. So we must wait on him. Remember last week, we talked about the promise of a blessing. And we saw how we are blessed to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is a blessing for all of us. We are blessed to be under God's sovereign authority. And we are blessed to see and understand how God exercises authority over believers and unbelievers, past, present, and future. Even so, Revelation is a very mysterious book. Right? It's tricky to understand, but it's not impossible to understand. Why is, it, why is there mystery? Why is it presented to us in such a way that we can go back to Jesus' own example with his disciples. Matthew 13, the disciples came to the Lord Jesus and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Let me pause right here. Brothers and sisters, you have the same promise. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people, people's heart has grown cold, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You have the ability to understand what is in Revelation. You have the perception to see when someone is teaching you something falsely about this book. If it doesn't make sense, it's not true. And a lot of stuff that we've heard from so many preachers over the last several generations just doesn't make sense. It can get us excited, but it doesn't make sense. For to the one who has... More will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's, taken, that's Jesus' teaching about our understanding. He was not talking about material, material, material possessions. He was not talking about earthly gain in stature or wealth or any other thing. He was talking about spiritual understanding. He was talking about your sanctification. You should understand what that is. Sanctification is a big churchy word that means set apart for a special purpose. If a young man in the military shows, demonstrates special skills and he is advancing in his training and his superior officer says, I'm going to recommend that man for special forces. That man has been set apart. He has been sanctified for a special purpose, a special use. And he has to go through special training for that, but he has been set aside for that special use. We have been set aside by God, by his grace, by his mercy for special use. Let us all seek and pray for understanding of the great book of truth and light, this book of Revelation. We have been set aside to understand this book, to understand its truth, that it may help us, that we may be blessed to understand what is going on in this world and not be afraid, not be fearful, not be full of anxiety. As I mentioned last week, I explained something about eschatology, briefly reviewed it this morning. There are also other terms. There are amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism. There are some other terms we'll look at as we move through the book. But those are not for, the day, for today. Today, we will attempt to define some more common vocabulary terms like 
ruler and rulers. The ruler and the rulers. Ruler, capital R, U-L-E-R-S, and rulers, small R, U-L-E-R-S. Let me remind you of an annotated statement I made last week, taken from the book, from our text last week, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, which God the Father gave him the Son to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He, the Father, made it known by sending his angel, the Son, to his servant John, who bore witness of the word of God to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. If you remember last week, I talked about how God's authority is coming through to us through these words from Revelation. It is his message to us through John and through every believer down the ages that brought us this text. And we also need to see that from verse 4, where we begin our study this morning, and onward, John continues to build the truths of, this, of his letter upon the foundation of God's authority. Quite frankly, John was getting it directly from God himself. Revelation, particularly the first three chapters, gives us a very gracious message. But it is replete with God's authority and power and glory. Please don't think I'm harping on that. I want you to, I want you to remember that. When you go out in the streets this week and happened to mention to some of your friends we're studying revelation on sunday morning well, what's revelation about i really never understood it it's about god's glory authority and power that's it in a nutshell it also talks about his justice and judgment but we need to also understand how that's going to come about The first three chapters give us a very gracious message, but it is replete with God's authority and power and glory. And the first three chapters also is where God calls us. To self-evaluation. When we get into the seven letters to the seven churches, it is all about calling them to self-evaluation examine where you are see where you've come from repent and recover what you have lost so these first three chapters is God himself calling his people his church to repentance and we've got to see that there is authority behind that call there is sovereign king calling his people to listen and to obey our text, Revelation 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the ruler, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, and the ruler, capital R, of kings on earth. 
Now you might think that those are just elevated, lofty words of praise and, ad and admiration. You might think they're just poetic. No reality to it. Does God really, truly rule all the kings of the earth? I contend that he does. He has the sovereign power and the authority to orchestrate everything in this world through every political leader, every political influence, whether it be for peace or for violence. God is orchestrating it all for his glory. And a lot of that is coming through as judgment upon unbelievers and rebellious sinners. And even within all of that, we see his grace and mercy because people are coming to Christ Jesus in spite of it all. We shall see this reality as we journey further into Revelation. Nothing surprises God. All is planned. All has been designed. All is carried out for his glory and his justice. His justice, not ours. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Please realize the seven churches existed. They are real churches. They are named in verse 11, and we will look at them more closely later. But they all receive this letter from the one who is to come, from the ultimate authority, the very one who is eternal and possesses all authority. But while Revelation is sent to the seven named churches, the blessing of Revelation is meant for all who read it. So the admonition to those seven churches applies to us. We are called to do, we are held responsible to do what God admonished them to do. So in that fact, the seven churches are represented for our behalf. A word to the wise, the Lord is saying, should be sufficient. Also, please notice, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned when John tells us that God the Father gave God the Son a message to give to his servant John by, but his servant is, but the Holy Spirit is mentioned here because the Spirit of God has been promised to be with the church ever since Pentecost. So we know we always understand and think of Christ Jesus or even God the Father as the ruler, capital R. But we must also remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is equal in authority and power with the ruler. So he is the ruler. The ruler is God the Son and the seven spirits representing the Holy Spirit is God the Son. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, last week we touched upon proof texts, and 
Isaiah 11:2, showing that the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit. Seven spirits in 11, Isaiah 11:2 represent the Holy Spirit itself. We can look elsewhere in Zechariah 4 and find support. We can look elsewhere in, and we will, in Revelation 4, talking about the presence of the seven spirits in the throne room of heaven, even in the very presence, and even in the very face of the Lamb of God. So then, in all of this, these first four verses, we have a statement from the triune God and a declaration of God's authority for the book of Revelation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope that's clear. So we need to take this seriously, with reverence, and pay attention. It's not all about when Jesus comes again. It's about our life, our faithfulness, calling us to repentance, calling us to faithfulness, encouraging us in times of tribulation and trial and difficulty. If you haven't noticed, they're here. And I don't think it's going to get better. I hope it does. I pray that it does. But be ready. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God forever, to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The ruler, capital R, is now recognized. It is God, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, our Redeemer, and our Paraclete, our associate, our, our earthly shepherd, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What about the rulers, small r? Who are they? John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. The ruler, small r's, are his church, the Christian. First Peter 2, 4, as you come to him who is the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I know you've read that before. I know you've heard sermons on that before. I know you've read lessons about that before. But it kind of suggests that God is working on us and building us up not just me, but the church, to be a spiritual priesthood, to be a kingdom. Like it's 
ongoing with a future fulfillment. Again, further down in 1 Peter 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Kind of suggests the same thing, but it, it but those words seem to suggest that it's it's kind of established, and we'll see how well established it is in just a moment. But do know, brother and sister, that we have not been redeemed by Christ to sit on heavenly clouds singing in the Lord's choir for all eternity. If you think that's something to look for, you haven't sung in an earthly choir for very long. Because sometimes those aren't so peaceful. We shall have things to do in eternity. We shall have things to do in the new heaven and the earth. But I think it's also safe to say the first order of business, the first assignment, will be participating in judgment. Paul knew it. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Paul knew it. Sometimes I wish he had written a letter about it. But we who stand with him, we who have been made righteous in his eyes by his blood, will also participate in judging not just the rebellious of this world, but we will judge the angels who rebelled as well. In Jude, verse 14, it was also about these that, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So as we look at this, we have this idea that we have something fulfilled now in Christ Jesus. We have promises that are fulfilled now in Christ Jesus. And there is something also that is not yet. But hold on. Let's look a little more closely. The latter half of verse 5 and first part of verse 6, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. We looked at Peter, and it kind of suggests that it's something to come. But here, it's past tense. And even in the English, it looks past tense. But in the Greek, I think it comes across as something even more special. The word in the Greek for made is epoison, comes from poeo, to make or to cause or accomplish. You might not understand what I'm about to say, but I'll try and define it for you so it's easily understood. 
paid a lot of money to figure this out, so I've got to use it or I'll lose it. A poison is the Greek word, and it is a verb, and it is, the tense is aorist, it is indicative active. Well, I've never heard of aorist. It's an ancient verb tense that was used in Greek and in some of the ancient Sanskrit. But if, it's, if a verb is written by divine inspiration in the aorist tense, it's indicating something that is, has been accomplished. If you looked, look into the Greek text about learning Greek, they call it punctiliar. It means punctual. It's done. It's finished. In the indicative, aorist indicative, it affirms that something has taken place only in the indicative mood does the aorist indicate past time. He made us a kingdom. And the active indicates that the subject produces the action. He made us a kingdom. And it's all in his blood. In our redemption, we are his kingdom. And I think this helps us in understanding our sanctification. Our confession asks us, what is sanctification? Larger Catechism, question 75, sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time, through the powerful operation of the Spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto themselves, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces, put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened, as they more and more die unto sin and rise into newness of life. Regarding your salvation, technically, legally, forensically, sanctification is a done deal but is also your calling from the Lord himself. Be sanctified. You shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Ephesians 1.4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and fullness. Sanctification is the declaration of something that has been finished, it's been accomplished, but it is also an active part meant for our growth in Christ Jesus. Participate in it. Your superior officer has appointed you for special forces in the Lord's army. Prepare. Be faithful. Be obedient. Learn of him. And so many people, so many Christians today are literally suffering in anxiety and doubt and fear because they don't know the Lord. Some of you may have been paying attention and seen that there's a big 
ad campaign. I think it's sponsored by the Gospel Coalition. He gets us. Anybody see any of those ads? It is suggesting or teaching people that God is so loving, he doesn't need to call you to repentance. He understands your pain, and he will accept you just the way you are, and you don't have to change. He gets us. Why do we, we don't get God. We, why do we never see Christians who are studying to know him? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. How many of you apply yourself to knowing the Lord who saved you? How many of you apply yourself to knowing his word? I remember in high school, well, junior high. Well, it was high school. Yeah, junior high. Junior high and high school. Studying with understanding algebra. Started in the eighth grade into the ninth grade. Struggled with it. And then in the 10th grade, I was studying geometry. And I finally had a teacher who made sense of it all. Quite frankly, because he showed me, you know, I'm sure each and every one of you probably did, studying math. Oh, when will I ever use this again in my life? Had my algebra teacher showed me how it could be used in life, that would have helped. I had a geometry teacher who showed me how to use the theorems and the geometry. He sent us out into the campus on the school and said, measure this, measure this, and show me where we can put up a new building. A whole class was out there measuring stuff and then we're coming in and doing our homework and figuring it all out. That helped tremendously. I got geometry. You've been given faith in Christ Jesus. You've been given his word. To whom much is given, much shall be required. What have you done with what he has given you? It's all part of your sanctification. You have been called and appointed. You have been made rulers with him that one day you will judge the world and if you're going to judge the world you have to know something about the law of God and its truth does that make sense I sure would hate to stand before a judge who was ignorant we don't want to be there Lord said, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand.
are called to grow in Christ Jesus. I, I, we are sinners. I am a sinner. I am chief among all of you, a sinner. But I'm trying to learn my Lord and Savior. I'm trying to learn his truth. And I challenge you to do so because we are called to do that in Christ Jesus. The story is told of a young girl who accepted Christ as her Savior and applied for membership in a local church. And the elders asked her, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Yes, sir. And they asked her, well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. And they asked her, what real change have you experienced? I don't quite know how to explain it. Except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now I'm saved. I'm a sinner running from sin. That's what we have to actively do in our sanctification. If we have been called to stand with him in glorious righteousness to judge the sin of this world, we need to be running from sin. John Newton once wrote, I am not what I, y'all knew who John Newton was, wrote Amazing Grace, this slave trader saved by grace of the gospel. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was, and I can say with, great, with a great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We are, we are in Christ, and we have something to look forward to. But he is Lord over your life now. He has authority over your life now. That should make a difference. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and its power and its truth. And we pray this day that you may speak to our hearts, convict us of sin, challenge us to strive with greater energy, greater love, greater devotion to know you, that we may be faithful in these last days. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.